Scripture reading for this morning comes from 1 Peter, 2nd chapter, verses 1 through 3. Before I read that, I want to have a brief comment about the special day that's come up two weeks from today. Um, it's our annual LAD celebration and leader at tea, which will be here in the, at the church building in the afternoon starting at 3 o'clock. We'd encourage everyone to come out for that. There are sign-up sheets available in the foyer, and that is for everybody. The children will be able to participate. Ladies will be downstairs. The guys will be upstairs. The ladies can say a prayer or read a scripture. Actually, the guys can too upstairs. We'll be separated, but lead lead a prayer, uh, lead a song, give a speech if they want to. Um, And we encourage the adults to come out too. If you have grandchildren, bring them along. If your grandchildren aren't here, if your children are grown and you have an empty nest, come and support those who are going through the program today. It's, a, it's an important time for them to be able to share their skills, their talents as they grow in leadership and as we prepare for a convention, which is next month. And then that evening, the young men will lead our services here at the congregation. So we'd encourage everyone to be planning for that. That's two weeks from today. And since it is a church fellowship function, we will have a meal at each of those, so there's sign-up sheet for you to bring food as well, so please be thinking about that and sign up. First Peter chapter 2, therefore putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So a a newlywed couple moved into a new house, and the next morning after they moved in, the young wife noticed her neighbor putting the clothes out on the line to dry. I've got to pause here for a moment, though, before finishing this story, because there are millennials that are in here who have no idea what that means. In the days before dryers were commonplace in a person's home, the way you would dry your clothes is you'd put them on a clothesline. And there are millennials in here who think that the only time you use a clothesline is at Bible camp for your towels and for your swimsuits. And I almost fell off the stage. <laughs> oh, that, that's not part of the story. That just happened. Anyway, back in the day, you'd put your clothes on the line to dry, and this new couple observed their neighbor putting the clothes out there on the line to dry. And the young wife said, Our neighbor doesn't know how to wash clothes. You can see dirt all over her clothes. The husband heard her make that comment and didn't respond and went about his business. And for several weeks, this young wife would watch her neighbor go out and hang the clothes on the line. And she just kept saying, look, she needs to be taught how to wash clothes. Her clothes are so dirty when she puts them out there. And then one morning she woke up and as she sat around the table eating breakfast, She observed the neighbor putting some uh, clothes out on the line to dry. And she called her husband in there and said, Hey, she's finally learned how to wash clothes. Her clothes don't look dirty. And the husband said, Well, honey, she's always known how to wash clothes. I just happened to get up and wash our window this morning. The point of the story is this, though it's not the funniest story I ever found. The point of the story is this, that sometimes we can be unaware of our own uh, failings, of our own uh, inconsistencies, of our own short-sightedness. See, we've been engaged in this series 
for some time these past several weeks called Blindfolds. And the whole purpose of the series, the premise of the series, is that we can be blind to our own shortcomings. And we've been identifying some of the ways in which we've had such spiritual impairment. We've talked about the blindfold of pride, the blindfold of negativity, the the blindfold of prejudice, the blindfold of apathy, and the blindfold of affection. And today we're going to conclude this series with one final blindfold, the blindfold of hypocrisy. Now, we need to define hypocrisy for a moment. I, I know we all recognize it when we see it, but let's work on a definition here. Because the word that is translated hypocrite or hypocrisy throughout the Bible comes from a term that used to refer to an actor. The term hypocrite used to refer to an actor because an actor would portray somebody he is or is not when he's on stage. And so originally the term hypocrite meant an actor. But over time the term hypocrite took on another meaning. Over time, the term hypocrite began to refer to any person who was wearing a figurative mask or refer to a person who is pretending to be something he is not. As a result, the term hypocrite came to be associated with dishonesty, a lack of integrity, uh, and, and contradictory behavior. And that's the meaning of hypocrisy that we come across when we see it in Scripture. As Christians, we are consistently instructed to eliminate hypocrisy. We are called to love without hypocrisy in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. We are called to pursue the wisdom from above which lacks hypocrisy in James chapter 3 and verse 17. And we are instructed, as we read just a moment ago, to rid ourselves of all hypocrisy in 1 Peter chapter 2. So we can understand what hypocrisy is but we, we, and we can understand that we need to get rid of it, and we need to talk about why we have to get rid of it. One reason we need to get rid of hypocrisy is because it is deceptive. Did you notice in our scripture reading that Peter not only instructed us to rid ourselves of all hypocrisy, but also all deceit? That's because at its heart, hypocrisy is the practice of deception. It's pretending to be something you're not, either to prevent exposure, in other words, to cover up sin that needs to be corrected, or it exists to receive adulation. In other words, making yourself appear better than you actually are. And Scripture is very clear that deceit is unacceptable in the life of a Christian. For example, we're instructed in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 25, we're instructed to put off our old selves which belong to our former manner of life and to put on the new self that's created after the likeness of God. And when Paul explains this, he gives some examples of what needs to be removed from our, old, from our new selves. And in verse 25 of Ephesians 4, he indicated that in order to put on the new self, we must put away falsehood. Since hypocrisy is a form of deceit, a form of falsehood. That means hypocrisy has no place in the new life that one begins as a follower of Christ. But that's not the only reason we should rid ourselves of hypocrisy. We must also rid ourselves of hypocrisy because hypocrisy is condemned in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus told a parable. It was a parable about a faithful steward and an evil steward. 
And, and Jesus made a comparison between the two, noting that the difference between them was their preparation. One was prepared, the other was not. Prepared particularly for their master's return. The evil steward was unprepared. He was acting immorally and unethically. And when the master returned unexpectedly and caught him in, in, in such activity, and Jesus stated in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 51 that the consequence of his actions were that he would be, <clears throat> he would be cut in pieces and put with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I, I share that parable because it identifies the consequence of hypocrisy, that you will be put in a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when you go and study that terminology, that, that reference to weeping and gnashing of teeth, it's very interesting throughout the teachings of Jesus because that's the same place. The place the hypocrites go where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, it's the same place where the uh, garmentless attendee of the wedding feast was sent in Matthew chapter 22. It's the same place where the weeds who represented uh, sinners and lawbreakers in Matthew chapter 13 were sent. And it's the same place where the worthless one-talent man in Matthew chapter 25 was sent. And throughout Scripture, this place, the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, is consistently juxtaposed with heaven. So as a result, Scripture indicates that those guilty of hypocrisy, the hypocrites, receive eternal punishment in hell. And so we need to understand that, that hypocrisy has no place in the life of a Christian because it is deceitful and because it is condemned. Therefore, we've got to get rid of hypocrisy. But the problem is we don't always realize when we're hypocrites. We're not always aware of our hypocrisy. We don't always see it. And so today we want to call out the blindfold of hypocrisy because that might be the blindfold that we need to remove right now. And though there are more than four ways to be blindfolded by hypocrisy, I want to emphasize these four today. The first is that we are blindfolded by hypocrisy when we seek to glorify self rather than God. You've heard this before. You know that the Christian life is not about ourselves. It's about God. But sometimes our motivations can be off. Sometimes, even though we know that our lives aren't centered around us, but they, they revolve around God, it's still very easy for the reason we do what we do to be for our self-glory. There's this occasion in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus is teaching in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount where he issues this warning. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And in that passage, he goes on to, draw, uh, to, to indicate that drawing attention to yourself might take place in the form of prayer, might take place in the form of your, your giving, might take place in the form of your fasting. And he, he says that those who draw attention to themselves when they give or when they pray or when they fast, they're hypocrites. In other words, Jesus identified hypocrisy as the act of publicly exhibiting your faith for the expressed purpose of drawing attention to yourself, of receiving recognition. So hypocrisy occurs when our obedience is not based on or not motivated by our love for God, but motivated by our need for attention. And Jesus indicated that those who do, do such things for their own recognition, they've already received their reward. 
That recognition is their reward. And that insinuates that there's not an eternal reward awaiting them. See, the expectation of God's people is that, that our spiritual activities will be conducted for the sole purpose of bringing glory to God. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 31, whether you eat or drink, and that's very mundane activities, but whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's the objective. That's the goal. Whenever our spiritual activities are done for personal recognition, then we venture into the realm of hypocrisy. And that's a blindfold that has to be removed. Are you motivated by the attention you receive, or are you motivated, motivated by the attention you give God by what you do? And while Jesus may use the specific examples of praying, of giving, and of fasting because they fit into the, 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 the primary religious activities of that day, what about you? Is your service to others motivated by your desire to bring God glory, or is it motivated by your desire to receive attention? Is your attendance on Sunday, motivated by your desire to bring glory to God and worship, or is it motivated by your desire to let people see you here? What's your motivation? Because if your motivation is for yourself, then you may be wearing that blindfold of hypocrisy that needs to be removed. Another way we might be blindfolded by hypocrisy is when we elevate traditions above commands. Turn to Mark chapter 7 with me, if you will, and I want you to notice uh, something going on at the start of Mark chapter 7. Jesus is approached by the Pharisees with an accusation against his disciples. That accusation is stated best in verse 5 of Mark chapter 7. They say, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands. Now, it's very important to notice here that whether you're looking at verse 3 or verse 5, the washing of hands is identified as a tradition of the elders. That's a, a, a technical expression used here to refer to the interpretations of Mosaic law, the oral teachings that were passed down by rabbis over the generations that eventually became codified in a written text around the 200 A.D. called the Mishnah. You see, the Jews not only believed in the written word, the Mosaic law that they had received in its written form and had, 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 had for so long the, that we have today, and we call it the Old Testament, but they believed in oral traditions that were supposedly passed down from Moses outside of the text of Scripture. And they believed that obeying those oral traditions were just as important as obeying the written word of God. And here's the thing. Eating with unwashed hands is nowhere mentioned in Mosaic law. Nowhere are people instructed to wash their hands before they eat. Now, we understand it to be hygienic. They understand it to be a ritual that you had to do. But God did not mandate that. God did mandate some washings. For instance, a priest was mandated to wash his hands and feet before he entered the tabernacle or before he performed a sacrifice on the altar. And if you came in contact with something that was unclean, like a dead body, 
you would have to wash yourself as part of a cleansing ritual to make yourself clean. And, and there was some layer of hygiene to that process. If you were found to have leprosy, you would, and that leprosy went away, you would have to go through some cleansing rituals and things like that. But nowhere under Mosaic law, nowhere in the Old Testament, did God say you had to wash your hands before you eat. So that's not a commandment. But the Pharisees made it an obligation. Through their traditions, through the oral traditions of rabbis, they taught that you have to wash your hands before you eat or else you're a sinner. And Jesus here, if you look at verse 6 of Mark chapter 7, he calls them hypocrites. And why did he call them hypocrites? Because they were teaching as doctrines the commandments of men in verse 7. In other words, they had elevated their man-made traditions to a place of equal or greater value than the commandments of God. You know, the Bible frequently warns against adding to or taking away from God's Word. You can go to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 2, where Moses told the nation of Israel, You shall not add to the Word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. You can go to Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 32 where Moses reiterates this expectation. And he says, everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. You can go to the book of Proverbs where Solomon said, every word of God proves true. And then he warned them not to add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. And of course, you can go to the last book of the Bible, to the book of Revelation, where it says, if anyone adds to the words of this book, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from this book, God will take away his share in the tree of life in the holy city. See, there's this expectation that, that we're not going to add or add to or take away from God's word because we understand God's word to be perfect, to be holy, to be divinely inspired. And some of you are thinking today, hey, we don't, we don't buy into traditions. We don't hold up traditions to equal or greater value than God's Word. I mean, we're a congregation that believes in no creed but the Bible. And we're a congregation who, whose practices derive from either a command or an example or a necessary inference from Scripture. We don't have traditions. Now, while we do, in fact, base our practices on command, example, and necessary inference, we must not forget that there is a fourth category that I call autonomous discretion. And what I mean by that is that there are areas in which our practices are determined by the leadership of our congregation. So, for instance, Scripture commands us, provides example, commands us to assemble for worship and Scripture gives us an example of what day that worship is to occur on, on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. But Scripture does not tell us what time of day to assemble. That's left up to the autonomous leadership of our congregation. And they decided that 10 o'clock's a great time, right? You know what Scripture doesn't mandate? 
And please hear me out on all this before you start sending the hate emails. I know you can type an email out there right now, but you've got to listen to the whole thing before you send it, please. And, and don't get my termination letter, elder, letter ready, elders. Let me finish. Scripture does not mandate we meet twice on Sunday. Do you know why we do that? Because our elders, the leadership of this congregation, has determined that having the second service in the afternoon is, is opportunistic for those who are unable to worship earlier in the day, and they want to maximize the opportunity for us to worship God and to fellowship together and to encourage each other. That is up to their discretion. That's not mandated by Scripture. So therefore, it falls in the category of a tradition if we believe that failure of an other congregation to have that second service is a sin. Then guess what? We're just like the Pharisees. Now, before you write those hate mails, and I get my termination letter in the mail, let me say this. Just because that can fall in the category of tradition does not mean you should ignore it. Because there is a command in Scripture to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And guess what? It's up to the discretion of our elders to decide when we should assemble together. And so your failure, your failure to be a part of a Sunday evening service is, is not, oh, hey, it's just a tradition, so it's okay. You are ignoring a command about forsaking the assembly, and you are not um, honoring your elders by failing to be here. Wait a minute, I don't think I said that correctly. But I think you get the point, right? Anyway, there, there are traditions that we'll buy into. There are traditions that we'll hang on to. I remember hearing, and I've never seen this myself, but I remember hearing that churches had problems. Back in the day, they would have a cloth over the Lord's Supper. And when that cloth was removed and not placed over it anymore, that tradition became a source of contention in the congregation. The cloth was there to keep the bugs off of it. Now we have metal lids. It's still the same thing, but it was all about practicality. See, we need to understand that we can just be as blind to tradition blinded by hypocrisy because we buy into tradition and elevate it over a command just like the Pharisees did. And we've got to remove that blindfold and understand that God's commands should never be usurped by tradition. Go ahead and write your hate mail as we move on to this third point. We are blindfolded by hypocrisy when we hold others to a standard that we do not hold ourselves. This takes us back to Matthew chapter 7 in a, in a passage that's quite popular. Judge not that you be not judged. Now when Jesus, when Jesus declared this, you'll, you'll also remember that he pointed out that we may be trying to criticize someone for a speck in their eye when we have a beam in our own eye. Jesus was not teaching against discernment here. Jesus was not saying that we are incapable of spotting someone else's flaws and failures and sins. In fact, elsewhere, he's going to instruct us to judge with right judgment in John chapter 7, verse 24. And, and as Brother Clower mentioned in his communion remarks, we can read in Matthew chapter 7 how, how we are to be able to be fruit examiners, that we have that capacity to examine fruit. Jesus is not teaching against discernment here, and he's not telling us that we can't help each other overcome sin. 
We have Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 that tells us to bear one another's burdens. We have the ability to not only identify others' sins and failures and flaws, but we have the ability to help them overcome their sins and their failures and their flaws. What Jesus is teaching here is he's telling us to not be so full of pride and so convinced of our own goodness that we criticize others from a position of self-righteousness. His point is that we must examine and correct our own sin problems before we attempt to correct those of others. And to ignore our own sin and to simultaneously point out that of others is hypocritical because it means that we're holding them to a standard that we're not willing to hold ourselves. You know, I didn't think I was a hypocrite. I thought I was pretty good about not being a hypocrite until I had a kid. When I became a parent, I found out I'm a hypocrite. Here recently, Micah often asked me, can I say this or can I say that? She's asking what words are acceptable and what words are not. Now, she's not asking about any uh, major foul word or any uh, inappropriate word. She's asking about words that may not have a good connotation or, or may not be all that encouraging, such as um, ID10T, if you can figure out what that spells. Anyway, she'll ask about words that, that have that kind of derogatory nature to it. And she'll ask if she can say those. Now, here's the thing. She didn't hear them at school. And she didn't hear them on TV. She's asking about words that she's heard daddy say. And I'm telling her not to say those words and realizing, wait a minute. If I don't want her to say those words... I better not say those words. See, parenting is the greatest method of exposing your own hypocrisy that I've ever come across. And, and, and yet, we are quite capable of this, not just when it comes to our children, but we're capable of this in everyday life. Where we, we, we expect somebody else to be pure, but not ourselves. We expect somebody else be morally right, but not ourselves. We expect everyone else to abstain from all forms of evil, but not ourselves. When we do that, we're wearing a blindfold called hypocrisy, and it's a blindfold we've got to remove. Finally, one-fourth way in which we can be blindfolded by hypocrisy is this, when appearance takes precedence over character. The Pharisees were notorious for caring deeply about appearances. You may remember the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector where they both go to the temple and they pray. And it's a very fascinating parable because Luke tells us at the outset that the reason Jesus is telling this parable is he's telling it to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. That's in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. So Luke indicates that this parable was intentionally directed at people like the Pharisees who cared so much about looking right. And as the parable goes, this Pharisee went to the temple and he prayed and he said this, God, I thank you I'm not like other men. Not like extortioners or unjust people, adulterers, or even the tax collector over there. And he says, I fast twice. Here's his prayer. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all I get. That's the extent of his prayer. God, I thank you I'm not like other people. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I have. 
Not a very good prayer if you ask me, because nowhere in this prayer does he petition God for help. Nowhere in this prayer does he praise God or seek God's guidance or surrender to God's will. None of those things happen in this prayer. This prayer was all about himself. It was about being heard by other people about how good he is, how righteous he is. Hey, here is my resume, God. You don't need it, but guess what? These people around me, they need to hear it. Because Pharisees were so concerned about their appearance, so much so that Jesus would say in Matthew uh, 23 and verse 27 that they are whitewashed tombs. You know, that metaphor is not lost on us. Jesus is saying that they may look good on the outside, but on the inside, they are disgusting. And why is he saying that about them? If you look at Matthew chapter 23 and verse 28, Jesus says because outwardly, because they outwardly appeared righteous to others, but within they were full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. In other words, the external exhibition of righteousness was just a mask they wore. Internally, they were corrupt, full of deceit, immoral. The character on the inside did not match the appearance on the outside. So hypocrisy occurs when our concept of righteousness, it is a matter of doing right things rather than being the right person. And here's what I want you to think about. A doing mentality asks, did I questions? Did I pray some this week? Check. Did I avoid using bad language this week? Check. Did I go to church on Sunday? Check. Did I put some money in the collection plate? Check. Doing the right things is good. Doing the right things is important. Doing the right things is expected. But God makes it clear throughout Scripture that his ultimate concern is that we will be the right people. And a being mentality asks, am I questions? Am I praying without ceasing? Am I pure of speech? Am I forsaking the assembly? Am I a good steward of what God has given me? That's a very different question. It's not looking for the check mark. It's looking for the heart to be right. When you focus on being rather than doing, then you have nothing to hide. But if doing takes precedence over being, then your faith may simply be a mask you wear. And we must remember that masks don't fool God. Because as Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13 says, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That means that God will always see past the masks we wear, the disguises we put on, the fronts we put up. We can try to hide our We can try to hide ourselves from him, but he's always going to see it. That's why we have to remove the blindfold of hypocrisy. I want to close out with a poem I came across this week called You Can't Fool God. 
You can fool the hapless public. You can be a subtle fraud. You can hide your little meanness, but you can't fool God. You can advertise your virtues. You can self-achievement laud. You can load yourself with riches, but you can't fool God. You can criticize the Bible. You can be a selfish clod. You can lie, swear, drink, and gamble, but you can't fool God. You can magnify your talent. You can hear the world applaud. You can boast yourself somebody, but you can't fool God. See, the goal of hypocrisy is always to fool somebody. And the truth is, you and I can fool each other every day. You and I can fool every human being there is. You and I can fool many, many people, but we can never fool God. God sees through to our heart. And if you are more concerned about appearance than you are character, then you've got a problem that God can see. And if you're elevating traditions to the same level as God's commands, then you've got a problem that God can see. And if you're holding other people to a standard that you refuse to hold yourself, then you've got a problem that God can see. And if everything you do is about bringing glory to yourself more than it is glory to God, then you've got a problem that God can see. I may not be able to see it. The elders may not be able to see it. Your family may not be able to see it. But God sees it. And God sees exactly what you need right now. God knows what correction you need to make. God knows what sins abound in your life. God knows where you need to change. Do you know? Can, can you see it yourself? Because as we've talked about with hypocrisy today, we know what the end is for the hypocrite. Is that the end you want for yourself? If it's not, then let's make the change today. Let's right our relationship with God and let's rid ourselves of hypocrisy. It may be that you have never become a child of God and today that's what you need to choose to do. That you need to confess your faith that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God and you need to repent of your sins and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of those sins. But it may be that you need to admit that you've struggled with hypocrisy or any other sin since you're becoming a child of God. And you need to rid yourself of it. You need to confess that sin. And you need to seek his forgiveness. Whatever your need is today, we're gathered here so that we can make sure that we're right with the one who will judge us in the end. If you need to respond to the invitation, we invite you to come. While together we stand and sing.